Welcome to Voices in My Head, the official podcast of me, Rick Lee James. I'm a recording artist, a singer, a songwriter, an author, a worship leader, and an ordained minister in the Church of the Nazarene. The Voices in My Head podcast is where I discuss music, movies, books, pop culture, theology, and more with friends, colleagues, and sometimes just by myself. Now make sure to let me know what you think of today's episode by leaving me a review on iTunes or by tweeting at me at Rick Lee James on Twitter. And please join my mailing list at rickleejames.com where you can receive an email every time a new episode is released. And by the way, in case you're interested in a daily dose of kindness and encouragement beyond this podcast, I also run the Twitter account at MrRogersSay where I post daily quotes from Fred Rogers, one of the voices in my head. Well, I guess that's it for the intro, so sit back, relax, and listen to the latest episode of Voices in My Head. Welcome back to Voices in My Head. As always, I'm your host, Rick Lee James, and I want to thank all of you who are listening for being here again for what I know is going to be a wonderful conversation. In the book, The Soul of the Helper, Dr. Holly Oxhandler shows caregivers and fellow helpers a more self-compassionate way to cope with their overwhelming responsibilities and to attend to their own needs, particularly when it comes to their mental health and spiritual journey. She invites them to pause and realize that if they let their personal resources run dry, they cannot possibly care for others as fully as they wish. In fact, their efforts are likely to cause more harm than good. With a background in spiritually integrated mental health, Dr. Oxhandler teaches helpers a seven-step process to slow down and reconnect with the stillness within themselves. It is in this space of stillness that Oxhandler guides helpers to reconnect with the sacred spark within their soul. By allowing themselves to enter that stillness, caregivers will recognize that they too are worthy of care. And with that realization, they will see anew the sacred spark that dwells inside everyone else, especially within those they're helping. Dr. Holly Oxhandler is my guest today on Voices in My Head, and I'm so glad that she has stopped by for a visit. Dr. Holly, welcome to Voices in My Head. Oh, thank you so, so much, Rick. It is an honor to be here with you today. Thanks for having well, me. Well, it is is certainly my pleasure, and I so appreciate um, the copy of the book that was sent to me. And as I was telling you, uh, it's come at a very, I think, timely uh, moment for me, just at the place that I am with my clinical pastoral education. And um, I I keep Mm -hmm. being told as I enter into that, everybody says, it's going to be a challenge. Hang on, you know, and and you've got to tend, you know, to yourself as you tend to others. And um, so anyway, on a personal note, thank you. I feel like there was a, it was a divine moment being able to find it for myself and I'm going to be revisiting it. I know as time goes by. That's so so kind. Thank you, Rick. I really appreciate it. And um, just before we even jump in, I will note a gratitude for you for the divine moment that I came across your tweet that is Mm. quoted within this book that I know (laughs) we'll get to later, but um, the gratitude is mutual. So thank you. Well, I'm grateful. Thank you. I'm glad to hear that and glad that the the Mr. Rogers Say Twitter account is putting out some good into the world. I'm I'm grateful to hear Mm -hmm. that. well, Holly, as we begin today, um, what is it? Uh, what is important about you 
for our listeners to know. I'd love for you to, to maybe just share a little about yourself and the work that you do uh, that might help all of us as we enter into this uh, discussion today, just so they know where you're coming from. I love that question, Rick. And I love the way that you framed it. That's just so beautiful. Um, I would say that um, to the listeners who are tuning in that um, maybe some things to be mindful of is that I I live in Texas uh, with my husband and our two kiddos, Callie and Oliver. Um, I'm originally from upstate New York, so I'm not, you know, Texas isn't my whole background, but um, (laughs) so I I have a little, yeah, a little, some roots up in upstate New York. Um, I study the intersection of spirituality and mental health within social work. And in fact, I'm on faculty at Baylor um, in the Garland School of Social Work as the Associate Dean for Research and Faculty Development. Um, I really have just kind of fallen in love with research in particular when it comes to this intersection. And this passion for this area is both a professional passion of mine and something I really geek out about when I talk with faculty and um, and those anyone else who's interested in talking about this research. But um, personally, it's of interest to me too, uh, because I do have a background in um, my own mental health journey, uh, particularly with anxiety and depression, the ways in which I have wrestled with my faith and my spirituality along my journey, but also it has been a source of support and comfort during difficult times. Um, And so those are just maybe a few layers of complexity. I'm certainly a Mr. Rogers fan. We talked about that. Um, I'm an avid Dave Matthews band fan. Um, That's another thing lots of folks around me know. Um, And I'm especially excited because he's going to be in Texas really soon. So I'm I'm extra excited right now about that. But I'm trying to think what else. Um, My back, I I also have a background in art and studio art and paint and um, engage in lots of different creative activities. And yeah, I'm sure there will be other things that we'll talk about too in the conversation. Well, I think that's a a good start as we enter in today. And for everybody listening, it lets them know a little bit about you. And you might have people send you Dave Matthews stuff. Who knows? That's uh, that's, I would not reject that. (laughs) I I have found that at times over the years, as I have mentioned things that I like, uh, people who listen have been kind and sent me things through the mail. And I've I've thought, oh, this is Uh, so great. So that's so fun, especially on the Mr. Rogers front. I've I've had a number of of books sent Mm -hmm. to me and things just people have been so generous and kind so so who knows what'll happen but i i too like dave matthews quite a bit he's as a as a a guitar player he's he's one that we all you know kind of strive for so yeah yes him and tim tim reynolds (laughs) yeah pretty amazing too yeah Yeah. certainly Well, you know, before this turns into a, a Dave Matthews podcast, we probably <laughs> ought to get back to uh, to your wonderful book today. Sure. Um, you know, you, you wouldn't know this, I'm sure, unless you listened way back in the archives. And I, I forget how many episodes of this show we have now. We're, we're coming up on like 500, I think, by the end of the year. So there's been a lot. Wow. But in, in the early days, um, when I didn't know what I was doing very much, and I was still trying to figure out what shape the show was going to be as I as I went on one thing I did for a good while was I would close out each episode of voices in my head saying namaste I honor the holy one inside of you and it made me very happy when I saw in your book 
that you write about this theory that you developed yes. that you call the namaste theory and right. as, as you write about in the book this this sanskrit word which which really means the sacred in me honors the sacred in you which is what mm-hmm. i was always trying to convey at the mm-hmm. end of my podcast um so I, what i wanted to, to talk about first of all tell us about if you don't mind um the namaste theory because i think this is a very uh, powerful thing that you came up with to help us kind of understand the way that we uh, we care for each other. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, I love that connection and the fact that I mean, I haven't. I've listened to a, a handful of episodes um, on this show previously, but have not come across that yet. So that makes my heart so happy. Um, yeah. So so this theory, this uh, grounded theory that I entitled Namaste Theory was born out of about a decade of research that I had been doing on the intersection of spirituality and mental health. And in particular, I was looking at mental health care providers and their views and behaviors around integrating their clients' faith in mental health treatment. Um, we had some previous research that showed that clients overwhelmingly want to talk about their faith as it relates to their mental health care, that providers often weren't trained in this area, um, and some other different area. Oh, and the fact that when we ethically integrate clients' spirituality into treatment, they actually get better faster in most cases, um, or the treatment is as effective as if we were to like not consider it. So I was doing this research, looking at this, and and found over and over again that the provider's spirituality or their intrinsic religiosity, which is how motivated they are to live out their faith, that showed up over and over as the top predictor or the biggest source of influence on whether these providers were paying attention to their client's faith in treatment. And so that was pretty fascinating to me in my own research. So I looked to see what was happening in other studies across other mental health disciplines and found very similar patterns in these other disciplines. Um, And so as I wrestled with that, that term namaste popped up and I was vaguely familiar with it from my own practice of yoga like years ago and, and even up to, you know, more currently, but Um, But I didn't, I didn't fully understand the term and I really wanted to get at the cultural roots of the term so that I could honor its origins as best as I could. Um, And so A.K. Krishna Nambiar has this book called Namaste, its philosophy and significance in Indian culture. And from there, I really began to understand that there is the spiritual connection with this term, like it literally translates to mean I bow to you. But as you mentioned, it more generally translates to mean the sacred in me recognizes the sacred within you or the divine in me honors the divine in you. Or, you know, we I've also heard folks talk about the image of God in me, um, sees the image of God in you. And that really brought order to what I was finding in my data. Now, as I lived into this though, because honestly, for researchers, we are transformed by the research that we do. And it doesn't just stop 
with us and the papers, but as we wrestle with it and embody it, we are changed by that research. And that's exactly what happened for me um, in realizing. And as I talked with other fellow helpers outside of mental health disciplines, that this, this research is not just for mental health care providers, but it is, as you mentioned, for everyday helpers, whether that's chaplains um, or authors or teachers. I know we're celebrating Teacher Appreciation Week right now. So I know it involves them, parents, um, caregivers, uh, community organizers. I mean, the list could go on and on uh, in terms of those who are really serving others and the importance of seeking the sacred within others as we're serving, but also, and most importantly, within ourselves as we are going out to serve others. Well, thank you very much for that explanation. And and by the way, for the sake of my listeners, you you mentioned Teacher Appreciation Week, and my wife is a teacher, mm-hmm. so um, mm-hmm. we're you know we're trying to celebrate all that. But I should also let listeners know this won't be um, this won't actually be released on that week. So if you're listening and you're thinking, what is it, Teachers Appreciation Week again? It's <laughs> it's coming up a little bit down the road. That's right. Uh, from That's that right. Time. Yes. So yes. we're we're speaking from the future right now. So it's kind of yes. an interesting thing. Well, um, and thank you to your wife too for the ways that she is serving. Yes, yeah, she's amazing. I, my hat is off to to all teachers, but especially to my wife. Mm-hmm. She she takes it very much to heart, and and so I appreciate that. Well, thank you for for sharing this the background about that the Namaste theory. I, I love the idea of bowing to another and honoring the sacred inside of them. Honestly, it, it reminds me, and this is a perfect segue to talk a little bit about Fred Rogers in the midst of this, because he used to actually use the phrase, and I, I don't think it was original to him, but I can't remember where he took it from, but he would talk about the divine spark in other people. Uh-huh. And it was very it was a very similar thing to what you're talking about that he doesn't just look at at people as as worthless things, but he looks at these them as people who have the spark of the divine within them. Doesn't matter what their belief system is. It doesn't matter if they're Christian, Hindu, atheist, Muslim, whatever. Every person he believed, um, because he believed so deeply that we were created by this loving God, he believed that in the image of God, meant every person contains some of that divine within them because God has mm-hmm. made them that way. And so I, I feel like it's such a beautiful thing for us to be reminded um, anytime we are caring for anyone in any capacity, especially those people that we struggle with <laughs> sometimes, yes. That, that, yes. that other person yep. mm-hmm. is has that spark of the sacred within them and they are due the respect of that, of the divine that is there. And so it's a, it's a good and difficult <laughs> reminder. Um, and maybe it's also a difficult reminder that I too, like me, I'm I'm one of the worst yes. people that, to criticize myself. Yes. I have to be reminded. Yes. Now hold yep. on, you know there is that yep. spark of the divine in you. Don't don't yep. shortchange yourself, which I I think a lot of us tend to do in our society. Yes. But yes. but let's talk a little bit about Fred Rogers and his influence on you, because I know both of us have been so heavily influenced by uh, Fred and and the life that he Mm -hmm. lived. And it's interesting all these years later after his death, um, two decades now, we're still maybe more than we were back then. I guess we've, as those of us that maybe watched him as a kid or have rediscovered him in adulthood, we're finding, wow, there was really something to uh, this person. So I wonder if this would be a good spot just to ask you to share with us, what is your Fred Rogers story? What is that connection that you have found there? 
Oh, I love that question, Rick. I really appreciate it. I was thinking when you were talking about that divine spark piece, I know um, that Meister Ecker, who I do nod to earlier in the book, uh, he he's the first that I had heard really talking about this, but using that phrase. I also know though that Henry Nowen used that phrase quite a bit. And I know Henry and Fred were friends. And so um, it's just fun kind of seeing those those little webs of connection. Um, but as far as my Fred Rogers story, so I remember as a kid watching Fred and just um, being deeply captivated by the simplicity of it, the calmness and the, the sincere presence that he brought to each episode. I remember, I mean, I'm tearing up just thinking about um about these episodes and watching them as a kid, especially because, you know, there, there were lots of good moments that I had in my childhood, but as I write about in the book, there are a lot of layers of trauma that were threaded within it too. And so Fred's presence and that groundedness and that kindness and compassion and eye contact all really meant quite a bit for me growing up. Now, I think growing up, I can't necessarily pinpoint the, like this particular thing, or, I mean, I remember really loving like, oh, I got to learn how crayons are made. That's cool. Um, or those types of like layers of curiosity. Um, but I, I think more than anything, I just remember the steady presence that he had. Now, when I got older and became a parent and had these Wednesday night, Mr. Rogers nights with my kids where, um, Callie and Oliver were, I think one and four at that point or two and five around, around that time. Um, let me think. Yeah. Around that time. Oh, nope. I don't know. Somewhere around there. <laughs> Anyways, um, we used to have these these pizza and Mr. Rogers Wednesday nights while our, our uh, while my husband served in this ministry at our church. And um, that was, I think, where Mr. Rogers profoundly shaped me even more. Like the mm. steady presence that he had growing up. I know that that shaped me, but I don't know that I can clearly articulate it as well as that when I got older and was a parent and watching the ways that it's like he was modeling how to slow down and be still and modeling like, oh, I'm just going to feed some fish and that's what we're going to do in this moment. And then, but then also like how to move through and name emotions. And I know that that was a big heartbeat of his. Um, like I know when he was talking with that councilman advocating for more funding for his show. You know, he talked about what a gift it would be for us to be able to teach our children how to navigate emotions. And, and so I think as a parent, the gift of watching him with my kids helped me to then have more language and new language. And that's even as a mental health, somebody who has training in mental health, um, as a mental health professor, professor and in social work, you know, even the ways that he showed up was like, okay, here are new layers of language that I can use with my kids when we're talking about grief and when we're talking about hurt feelings and when we're talking about joy and love and just so many layers of the human experience that um, when we're rushing and hurrying through our days, we, we miss, I think. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's excellent. And I, I, 
I think you've hit on something that, you know, as, as we're children, uh, if, if we grew up watching Fred Rogers or even, you know, some kids still get to see it today, certain parts mm-hmm. of the country or whether or not they stream it, we would stream it sometimes with our son. Uh-huh. Um, but he's not at the age now where it connects with him as much as it did when he was a little bit younger. And I always find it fascinating that it's it's with the very young children he has a real connection with or mm-hmm. with adults who have been beat up by life. <laughs> yes. Uh, oh my gosh, and, yes. And there's there's yes. something about that yeah. and the idea of uh, the the intentional way that that he talked and you're you're right and this is going to lead into your book a little bit mm-hmm. more here. Um in the way that you have these seven steps in the book where you are teaching uh, the people that you call helpers, a very Mr. Rogers word, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> to help them slow down and to reconnect with the stillness within themselves. And as I look back at not just the shows of Fred Rogers, but interviews that he did, things that he wrote, he was so intentional about um, helping us learn to reconnect with quiet and to yes. reconnect with ourselves like he he did crazy things like we would consider crazy he took the radio out of his car because he didn't want any noise mm-hmm. like he, he wanted to actually be I alone with his that. thoughts he did yeah i mean there wow. are all these things as huh. much as he was on television all the time he hated television like he just never yeah, had I, it on I knew his that yeah. yes yeah um, yep. there was and there were very few shows that he would comment on the one show that he really liked dr quinn he made an appearance on uh and, ah. and they they found out that he liked it and he came on to play a reverend on that show for one episode so oh, it's kind of wow. like That's all so of neat. it even yeah. that though that sort of show that connected with him when he actually would watch from time to time you know he was very much into this process that you're talking about in your book about slowing down and i think it's something that um even if you're not necessarily what what you might call a, a, a helper in your book, I just think adults as a whole, we need to learn this practice. I think this, yes. um, these steps that you're talking about, they can benefit anyone, you know, so even if they're not like in a uh, professional capacity or in your job or things like that, um, just the way that we deal with others, as you said, as parents. Um, so let, let's get into it with the time that we have left a bit. And I, I don't want to give away everything, obviously, because I want people to read the book and and we will have links on on the website by the way and in, in the podcast so people can just hopefully easily with a click uh, go to your book but let's talk a bit about these seven steps and, and I'm, I'm going to read through them just really quickly so that everybody can know what they are we may not have time to get to all of them today in our sure, discussion yeah. but I at least want people to, to have a bit of an understanding the seven steps you you start with speed and then you go to slow and then steady, <laughs> still, and then see, like vision, uh, the way that we see, and shift, and then serve. And those are, are the seven uh, the seven S steps, I guess we will, mm-hmm. we will call them today. Yeah. <laughs> but, but they're very good. And I, I wonder if we could just start and maybe just uh, go one by one. And, and if we run out of time in our conversation, that's fine. We'll just say, well, to learn more, read the book, you know, <laughs> like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I really find these to be so helpful. And, and so when you talk about the step of speed, um, you, you're wanting us, I think, to awaken to our fast pace of life, first yes, of all. Like if, right. we can't, if we can't acknowledge it, we, we can't heal it or, or stop it because we, right. we live at these crazy 
speeds. Um, so talk to us a little bit about the importance of kind of coming to grips with that in this, in this speed, this first step that you talk about in your book. Yeah. Well, as you noted, I mean, speed, this chapter really does focus on that sense of awareness and recognizing the ways in which we are going and doing and serving and helping and offering and caring and in so many ways. And that work may be good in how we're serving others, but it speeds us up to a point at which um, I am really afraid we are missing. We are not only missing our the precious gift of our life, um, but also, I'm afraid that if we are operating at such a high speed pace through our day, we may be at risk of hurting those around us, not really helping in a way that is well attuned to the needs around us. Um, and so this fast pace, um, I, I really wrap this chapter with a lot of grace and understanding mm -hmm. that, you know, there are a lot of reasons for which we operate. It's, it's such a fast pace. Um, and some of those might include, um, you know, an addictive tendency. I know within stages of change, uh, particularly around addiction, we have these stages. The first one is called pre-contemplation, where we're not even aware mm -hmm. of the ways in which um, we are addictively engaging in some behavior or substance or, or whatever the thing is, or we're not even aware of how harmful it is. Um, and so I kind of wrap that around this speed chapter and just yeah. really recognizing we've got to become aware of the well, pace that we're operating at. Yeah. And, and if you don't mind me interrupting you for just sure. a moment, yeah. it, it, it reminds me a bit when, when you're talking about becoming conscious of, of this speed that we're living at, it reminds me a little bit of many of us have probably done this. I know I have where you've been driving and all of a sudden on the interstate, you yes. know, like a long trip, yes. ten, 10 miles have gone by and you realize, wait, did I see any of this, you know, type That's thing. Right. And, yes. and when you talk about the dangers of not realizing it, sometimes we're, we're in a daydream state, you know, like this is mm -hmm. when accidents happen. And th so there really is this, yeah. this other metaphor. If we think about it, it was just something simple like driving. That's kind of what came to my mind because the next mm -hmm. step slow uh, is where you talk about taking your foot off the accelerator and, and learning right. to slow our pace and i'm gonna because i can see zoom and it's telling me we have eight minutes I know. Left. i'm i'm gonna <laughs> yeah. i'm gonna sure. it's, it's ironic well, i'm gonna speed through this a little bit no 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 no. it's okay but, i mean i can uh, or i can i can give kind of that overarching summary yeah. of how these chapters would that be okay that would be perfect i'd okay. love to do that because i don't want really people to miss out on, on how yeah this is. yeah but if you could go right ahead because i'd love sure. for everybody to just kind of take that all in Sure. So, so to our listeners who are listening, um, this book, again, these chapters all within part two, they invite the reader, as we were just talking about, to um, recognize the speed at which they are operating, um, to then slow down, and then identify those steadying structures that really do help us kind of stay at that slower pace, which is so hard for us. Like it is so hard um, because we'll want to inch ourselves right back up to that speed pace without those, uh, those studying structures that offer that scaffolding we need from that space of studying. Um, hopefully we are able to um, become still because, which is very difficult for us as helpers, but then from that place of stillness, it's only then that we are actually able to see the sacred within ourselves um, or in others, but we have to see it first within ourselves, truthfully. 
um, from recognizing and seeing our inherent belovedness that we did nothing to earn or hustle for or achieve, but we just were prepackaged with that. Uh, we are then invited to shift with compassion toward ourselves and those around us, um, and then serve from that place of abundance and recognizing that we are beloved and we don't have to hustle, but that we can offer that, um, that overabundance of love and compassion to others in the unique ways that we are wired as helpers to serve others, uh, because we cannot do everything all the time for every single person all around us. Like the, we have to be able to serve with discernment and um, and what with what it is that we were uniquely wired to do. So that's that's kind of how all those stages are connected, um, recognizing our our little bit of time left. So brilliant I hope that helps. Yeah that was perfect and i i would have spent way too long on that and you just did it so concisely so well. <laughs> that, was, that was really good now i i i think i i just if i can um maybe emphasize anything yeah. of those steps that stood out to me that i think is so important i think the the shift step where you talk mm. about that i think that might be the most important thing because again you you're reminding us that it takes intention um, not to put our foot back on the accelerator again, yes, and that if we can right. get to this place of of uh, you know kind of finding health for our soul and slowing down and stuff, uh -huh. um, again, life doesn't oh. just happen by accident. All these things that you know, mm -hmm. if they're productive, if we find a place of flourishing, these things happen because of the intention that's there. And to me, that was the one step that was just like, okay, it's the shift. It's it's kind of like all right, we've, we've gotten our eating back in order and, you know, we've got to the weight we wanted to be at. Our exercise regime's going good. That's not the time to go, okay, let's get lazy and start eating huge tubs of ice cream again. You know, it's, it's this idea of like, okay, we've made this shift. So how do we um, continue to stay there and, and serve? And I, I think that's just as important. We're, we're so much into, um, again, it's part of our accelerator society, but yes. it's like, it's like, well, we want everything right now. And I love how you emphasize that you cannot hurry this process. It's like any other right. of these things we go through. It's like grief. I'm, I'm always telling people, yeah. you know, don't feel pressured to like rush through the things you're feeling and, and the grief. Sometimes it's there because it needs to be there and you need to like walk through this path. And, um, yeah. so there, I, there's, yeah, go right ahead. Yeah, I know. No, I love the analogy with grief. And I think you're absolutely right that you and I know I, I write that in the book, like we cannot rush or hurry or checklist our way through these stages. Um, and I hope the listener and the reader hears that I am offering these stages with a hefty dose of humility, mm -hmm. knowing that I am sure I'm going to have lots of other lessons throughout my life that will um, help me to understand or move through these, but also that but this, these stages, like they are set up in a linear fashion to help us think through them and comprehend them. But the reality is, is that we are going to bounce from stage to stage at different points in our lives. And, um, and I also want to name too, that, you know, we can do as much as we can and bring as much of ourselves to this work. But I also want to name, especially as a social worker, there are a lot of systems and layers within our culture around us that um, add lots of layers of complexity to this mm -hmm. process, too. And it may be easier or more accessible for some folks than others, um, but it doesn't diminish the need to 
do this work to wake up to the sacred within ourselves. It mm. is, I think it is just so essential for us as helpers yeah. as we go out and serve. Yeah. Well, this has been uh, truly an honor to get to, to sit and talk with you about these things. And congratulations mm -hmm. on your new book. Uh, for our listeners, once again, the book is called The Soul of the Helper, and it's by my guest, Dr. Holly Oxhandler. Uh, it's been great to spend some time uh, with you today. And uh, I'm sorry that because I, I don't have Zoom Pro, as my listeners know, I often oh. say this to guests. I'm always <laughs> like, well, when the time's up, but it helps me to be a little more concise sometimes too. So I'm grateful for that. But I am, uh, I'm truly glad glad that we had these this moment today to be able to share and for all of our uh, guests who are listening today uh, I do want to remind everyone that if you go to voicesinmyheadpodcast.com or if you follow uh, our podcast on my Substack page which is I believe just rickleejames.substack.com uh, we will have all of the links uh, in this episode where you can just easily with a click uh, go to get the book or you can go to Holly's website and uh, so we're grateful to to have the technology to be able to do that. So <laughs> I'm glad to be able to make it a, a quick stop. So as I say to my guests each week, I, I'm honored to get to say it to you, Dr. Holly Oxhandler. Thank you for being one of the voices in my head this week. Oh, thank you so much, Rick. I'm so grateful for you. Thank you for joining me here this week on Voices in My Head. I hope you'll visit me on my website at rickleejames.com where you can find out more about me, Get my music on vinyl and CD, follow my blog, and even schedule me for a concert or a speaking engagement. Better yet, even a book signing in your neighborhood. You can find all that and more at rickleejames.com. Also, it would mean a great deal to me if you could write a review of this podcast on iTunes. The more positive reviews that we receive, the more visible this podcast will be online. And now, for the benediction. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. God bless you, and thank you for listening to Voices in My Head.